0: Uh, Lord God, work in each of us and and among all of us today as we open Your Word together. Uh, Lord, we pray, and I pray that You would be the teacher that who has taught the teacher today, and who teaches all through Him. Uh, Give the hearers discernment to weigh everything against the plumb line of Your Word, and the grace, and the humility, and the Receptivity, spiritual receptivity to hold on to what is good. Give all of us uh, remembrance and boldness to seek to live out the truths that we learn from your word today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've been a Christian since 1974, so I'm in, I'm in my 43rd year as a as a uh, practicing Christian not that not that practice is made perfect I'm not saying that but it has been 43 years I've also been a shepherd in Christ Church for 26 years and really going on 30 if you uh, if you count the time before the church was recognized by the state of Tennessee as a 501c3 corporation but it's really it's a going on 30 years of actually being a shepherd 26 years since we since we started as a church. so it's it's probably time in 43 years and 26 years it's probably time if it ever is to be time for me to teach what I've learned uh, about a particular topic from the Bible and from personal experience of some years and the experience of other trusted believers and when I say the experience they say what well, learn from experience? Well yes yes. Uh, but it's about a topic about which believers, and believers of our, uh, the, the kind of churches that we would go to, and the kind of people we would listen to on the radio, and the, and the ones that we would we would think are like-minded. But among those kinds of believers, uh, something that uh, believers hold a, a variety of beliefs and a variety of practices. So weigh what is said today. Particularly and most importantly is always against the word and against what the word of God says and against what the word of God shows. So weigh everything and hold on to what is good. Uh, The issue has to do with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the place of wisdom in the Christian life uh, in the age of the Holy Spirit that dawned on the day of Pentecost described in Acts 2 and particularly... How those two things go together, how they fit together—it's um, a—it's a—it's a difficult topic and one in which people have different practices and different views. Uh, This—I uh, want to offer a couple of propositions today, and—and I, and I really I have like three or four, but we're only going to do two today. So in a, in a way, it's almost—it's going to be a, to be continued next week. Uh, if, uh, Lord willing, and and uh, I want to offer you just a couple of propositions today. They're fairly well thought-out statements. They're kind of like doctrinal statements, you know. I've, uh, I've, they've been kind of carefully parsed, I've written them, and rewritten them, and then rewritten them again, and changed this and dropped that. But weigh them each, and consider the implications because there will be implications. So if you see that these things, yes, that's true. There are going to be implications for how you live this life that we've been called to. But here's the first one. The Holy Spirit can communicate in both verbal and nonverbal ways to anyone at any time. The Holy Spirit can communicate in both verbal and nonverbal ways to anyone at any time. So... Obviously, our Bible is full of reports of, of what I'm calling verbal guidance by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he says something, he speaks. I've picked out a few examples, Acts eight twenty-eight, and 28. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. You remember that. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. In other words... It, you know we I, we can believe the bible here right we can we can believe, we can just take it at face value the spirit said to philip go over and join this chariot it it in other words it wasn't that what happened to philip it wasn't a vague sense that the holy spirit wanted him to approach this chariot that's not what the bible says says the holy spirit said the Holy Spirit said to Philip, whether it was audible, whether it was something he heard through his ears, or he just heard it kind of internally. But whatever it was, it's a quote. It's you know, go over and join this chariot. There's the Holy Spirit's quoted here. There's no there's no hedging, and there's no kind of well, I don't want to be a, use a pejorative phrase, but there's no wiggle room um, such as modern Christians use typically when describing the Spirit's guidance. We felt led to. We felt led to. This is not here. Did, uh, 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 Philip didn't feel led to approach us. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the Holy Spirit said. Or it, 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 we sense God's leading to. We, we feel the, str- the guidance of the Holy Spirit to. We, we believe God is showing us that. You know, Peter, it, it, uh, Philip. I keep saying Peter. Philip doesn't say. It, there's. It, you don't get the idea here that Philip uh, believed that God was showing him to approach this chariot. Philip felt led to. No, it says that it says the Holy Spirit said, and it uses Luke wrote Acts, right? Luke wrote Acts. The same language, same author uses the same language, and it says, When Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. Jesus said to, to uh, Peter. The Holy Spirit said to Philip. It's just a matter of, uh, it's just a matter of uh, taking the Bible at face value here, isn't it? Unless, it's, unless we're to say, when it well, when it's the Holy Spirit says it's, it's completely different. Jesus said, we understand that. But when the Holy Spirit says it's something else. No, it just says the Holy Spirit said. Here's another one, Acts 10. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. I don't think... Seeing what that says, I'm pointing back here, but for you, it's over here. <laughs> Seeing what this says, I don't think Peter ever would have described that experience as saying something like, I don't know, I just felt led to, to go downstairs and when I got downstairs there were three men looking for me and it was it was amazing. Well, it was more amazing than that <laughs> because what actually was according to the Bible what Peter's experiences was, While he's pondering this vision he had, the Spirit said to him, and then the Spirit is quoted. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. This is fascinating because it's a church gathered. The church at Antioch, they're gathered. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What a worship service that must have been. And how, how we would have loved to have been there. But there you have it again. The Holy Spirit said. It's, so it, it's, it's verbal. It, in other words it's a quote not a sense. It's a quote. And even though these three New Testament examples you can take that down now, but they're, they're far from the... And you, if you read your Bible at all, you know this is... You know, we could fill up the rest of the time with examples of things like this. But even though these are, are far from the only examples of specific verbal revelation by the Holy Spirit, guidance, direction, it's also important to recognize that they are nevertheless extraordinary experiences of the Holy Spirit, extraordinary and that's one of the reasons they're recorded for us in the Bible uh, give you some examples of other things like this that that tongues of fire you know that's something a visual manifestation of the Holy Spirit at Acts 2 and Pentecost you know these flames of fire you know resting over the heads of those who are speaking in languages they haven't even learned it was apparently a one-time phenomenon right a one-time thing in other words nobody argues that event is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a place and the filling of the Holy Spirit in another place nobody argues nobody argues that for the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit to be genuine to be biblical there must be some sort of visual manifestation Something you could see, you know, maybe flame, maybe just like Acts 2, or some other visual manifestation. Nobody argues that. It's to be authentic, it's to be biblical, there should be a a visual manifestation. The day at church when, uh, in another case, the day at church when Ananias and Sapphira were carried out feet first of church for the sin of lying, Peter says lying to the Holy Spirit, but lying about how much money they had given or what portion of the money they had given to the church Um, in my way of thinking it was the sin of introducing hypocrisy to the pristine newborn church it was a highly unusual event (laughs) Uh, hardly ever happened then and hardly ever happens now right (laughs) and i don't hear anybody complaining about it i don't hear anybody complaining well if the spirit if the holy spirit is really alive and well in your church there ought to be a fatality or two uh, you know during the worship service at least every now and then because listen it's undeniable people still deceive others about the strength of their devotion to christ they still try to put up a false front and act like they're more generous and holier than they than they really are so if the holy spirit is really active in doing what he does in your church there ought to be a fatality or two somewhere right during the church service for hypocrisy no these remarkable kind of experiences were not even the ordinary, every day, every Sunday, whatever, experiences of people and the ch- and churches then. Even then they were remarkable, extraordinary. It didn't happen the Sunday before, it didn't happen Sunday before that, it didn't happen after that. And these, it, it, it wasn't the normal experience of churches even then, and I hope to show you, even before we're done today, even though we're just kind of going through part of this, that this is not just an argument from silence. It's not a mere argument from silence. Well, surely things like this were happening, we just don't, we just don't uh, see them all. But, but it's something, rather it's something that's lived out in the lives of these same people who experienced firsthand these remarkable episodes of specific and verbal guidance by the Holy Spirit. And if that is the case, you can see how the case is weakened for thinking that these remarkable and unusual experiences of the straight-out verbal guidance, specific guidance of the Holy Spirit, should be commonplace and ordinary experience of every Christian and every church today. They weren't even the ordinary experience of. Them, You know, of of back then, and they experienced it. Now, saying that, however, is a far cry from saying, and some still do, although their numbers seem to be in decline today. It's a far cry from saying that the Holy Spirit definitely does not do that kind of thing anymore, or definitely cannot. Some say that, even or definitely will not speak in the same way he spoke to Philip and Peter and the gathered worshiping church at Antioch whenever and wherever he desires. I mean, this is, this is God we're talking about. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And just as it is really breathtakingly presumptuous to say what God has done in the past, he must do in the present, it is just as presumptuous to say that God cannot or he will not do in the present what he has not seemed to have done lately as far as we know and by the way it's just as presumptuous to say he cannot or will not do in any other christians experience what he has not done in mine so far that kind of reasoning of what god will not do he definitely will not do or you cannot do, or, or something like that, it's, just, it's no more valid than those who said, at their own great peril, really, who reason that a genuine, real Messiah would never heal someone on the Sabbath. That just shows you right there, he's not of God. He healed someone, and we know he would never, a genuine Savior would never do that. It seems to be; it's almost the same reasoning. But to to remind you, the 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 point I'm trying to establish: the Holy Spirit can communicate in both verbal and nonverbal ways at any one time. So this verbal communication—what I'm saying is that when it says the Holy Spirit said, what can that mean other than the Holy Spirit said? It's not something, it's no, it's verbal, not nonverbal. What, what about this nonverbal communication? Is, what is that? What's that mean? You know I've used it in verbal and nonverbal ways the Holy Spirit leads guides. And, and is that seen in the scriptures? Well, I think it is. He also communicates directly with our spirits in ways that bypass the ears. <laughs> in ways that you wouldn't you wouldn't describe it as verbal it would it would you couldn't quote it in the same way that the spirit is quoted in other places what the Holy Spirit's impressing upon you and I brought up a couple of examples last week a couple of examples of this nonverbal communication from the Holy Spirit to you and let me just uh, remind you of them. Because when I talk, spoke of both of them, I, there were nods. They were like, yeah, that's right, uh, out, out there. <laughs> yes, that's right. I've experienced that. One of them is the is conviction of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit has a way of revealing to us the utter sinfulness of something in our lives and pushing us, nudging us, prodding us, even driving us to confession and to repentance. You know, it's a miserable experience. <laughs> but a very real one very necessary one and universal right the holy it's 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 like the indwelling holy spirit won't leave us alone until we face up to what is wrong we confess to god we ask forgiveness we turn away from it we ask his help and in in turning away from it completely and finally and be done with it and when I spoke of that and was talking about this conviction of the Holy Spirit last Sunday, like I said, I saw a lot of affirming nods. Say, "That's that's right. That's what it's like. It, it's it's it couldn't be. It's it's something more than just like a guilty conscience. It's 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 of the Holy Spirit, and and so it's a it's the universal experience among Christians. But I bet you described that in a in a kind of a nonverbal way. In other words, you couldn't quote the Holy Spirit. You might say it was it was like it, it was like just a confrontation. You, know, you' have to describe it in words, but it's like that what you told somebody that was a lie. <laughs> And it wasn't words in your head, but this sense of, or that you was that was an unkind thing you said, or this particular habit, or this particular attitude has got to, got to go. And you wouldn't describe it as a, as a. Uh, you you might describe it with various words at various times because it wasn't really a voice, but it was, it was something. You know, only the wear, only the one who wears the shoe knows where it pinches, right? And only the one who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit knows which room the Holy Spirit wants to clean up next. And what's on the agenda now? We also talked about the Holy Spirit testifies, this is just how Romans eight sixteen puts it, testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. And we were talking about that last week. I have to tell you, when I, I spoke of this inner sense of confidence and assurance that God is our Heavenly Father, we're His children, He loves us like a parent, we, could, we approach Him not as a stranger but as a, as a child, as, as a son or a daughter, and there were lots of, yes, that's right, this, that sense of assurance, yes. And there are nods on that too. And yet that sense of assurance that you have that you are a, you are a child of God... The Bible says it came from the Holy Spirit, it came to you almost certainly in a nonverbal kind of way. In other words, if someone asks you, How exactly did the Holy Spirit tell you that you were his son or his daughter right by adoption? How did it come to you? Was it you know, was it a Darth Vader type of thing, you know, Luke i'm your father was it like that and you would probably say even if you you feel like you have this you know this assurance from the holy spirit that you're a child of god you'd probably say no it wasn't a it wasn't a verbal thing at all i couldn't really quote he said certain words chris you are my son or something like that it was spirit to spirit his to mine it it bypassed the flesh entirely. It didn't come through my ears. It didn't, or even even, the, even in, in my mind, it's an inner conviction that the Bible says came from the Holy Spirit. If the, if the Bible didn't tell me it came from the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't, I might not even know why I feel so strongly that God is my father and I'm his child. And by the way, these two experiences of the Spirit's conviction of sin and the Spirit's assurance of sonship are really universal among Christians. I I know Christians who have trouble with assurance of sonship. You know that I know Christians who have trouble with that. You know that God can really love me, that he's really my loving father. He seems distant to some Christians. And most of the time, that's related to, to soul wounds they brought into the Christian life to begin with. And they're in the process of healing. They're in the process of, of um, working through that. So I know Christians who have a little trouble with that. But i got to tell you, I would have grave suspicions about the professing Christian who claim to have never known the experience of conviction of sin. I don't know what you're talking about, conviction of sin. I would think, you know, are you sure you're a Christian? Because <laughs> everybody seems like everybody's experienced that. So is is there all right, so what about the scripture? Is there any indication or any example of specific guidance by of the Holy Spirit that's in this nonverbal kind of way? Well, I think there is. Acts fifteen. Boy, this is something. For it has this is from the, the letter to the Gentile churches, this is from the Jerusalem church of the Gentile churches. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. What can that mean? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seems a stretch to say, well, that means they asked the Holy Spirit about it and the Holy Spirit said... Seems good to me. That doesn't read very well. Yeah, actually, there's no Holy Spirit said in that verse, in that chapter, at all. It reads much easier if we read that to be saying it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that they were saying, this is our best judgment on the matter, and this is also our sense of the Holy Spirit's leading. But there's no Holy Spirit said here. This is really a New Testament version of we felt led to. We, our sense of the Spirit's guidance is this. And see, so these pillars of the church of Jerusalem have a sense of the Holy Spirit's reading and direction in His will in a non-verbal kind of way. And they don't say the Holy Spirit said because the Holy Spirit didn't say but this was their sense of it that this was right something like this very same thing may be behind a fascinating passage in the next chapter Acts chapter 16 this one is this one is just fascinating if you stop and kind of pull it apart a little bit Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. How? I would love to ask the Apostle Paul some clarifying questions. How did the Holy Spirit forbid Paul and Silas to speak the word in Asia. That sounds like it could have been verbal. The Holy Spirit said, don't go there. But the verse 7, the next, the verse 7, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Certainly, they cannot have been previously told by the Holy Spirit not to go into Bithynia, but they were trying anyway. And how did the Holy Spirit prevent them from going where they were actually trying to go? How did he do it? That's what I would, wouldn't you love to ask that? How did he do that? Was it providential? Now, in other words, the weather never would cooperate. <laughs> or they, they're trying, they they, couldn't, they never could catch the right caravan. They couldn't catch their, you know, the, the, the bus. What? Something always went wrong, something always in the way. But somehow, whatever it is, they attributed this inability or this failure to to go to the Holy Spirit. And so it seems that they had a growing sense that the Holy Spirit did not want them to go where they were trying to go. And so they changed plans and bypassed Misha for Troas. And there Paul had a vivid dream That both Paul and Barnabas uh, interpreted as a uh, divine direction. This would be Paul and Silas, wouldn't it? A divine direction to go to Macedonia. Now all of that, that whole thing that is different. I don't know about the forbid part, but the, 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 uh, the spirit of Jesus not preventing them going where they're trying to go. And the dream. The dream it's a it's a, just a dream of a man who says, Come help us. That guidance is different than the Holy Spirit said. It's different. It's the Holy Spirit's guidance that's just the same. But it's different. It's of a different it's of a different character. So that's what I mean, nonverbal communication. It's a real thing and it's in the scripture. Both of them are. So the Holy, here is the point, the proposition. The Holy Spirit can communicate in both verbal and nonverbal ways to anyone at any time. Here's the second one. This is the last one I want to deal with today. The absence of specific guidance of the Spirit, verbal or nonverbal, for every decision must not paralyze Our obedience to the general guidance of the Scriptures and the application of whatever wisdom we have acquired. Did you notice in that remarkable passage from Acts 16, Paul and Silas seem to be operating on the theory, this seems to be their operating principle, that only a moving vehicle can be steered. That seems to be how they're operating. I mean, you understand the comparison. If the car's sitting in the garage, you know, the motor's not running, it's not going anywhere, it doesn't matter how you steer it at all. It does Nothing's going to happen. But that the car has to be moving for that to become significant, for it to be possible even. So this Paul and Silas, they're going, they're going. And as far as they were concerned, the Holy Spirit is free to take the wheel anytime He wants. Now listen, there is a theory and a practice of guidance observed by some christians that says and you're familiar with this and you you might even be this person there's a there's a a practice of guidance or a a theory of it that says you dare not make a move uh, an important decision of any kind or even unimportant because even the unimportant decisions can be um, turn out to be important (laughs) You dare not make a move of any kind without the Holy Spirit say so, without the Holy Spirit's direct guidance, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. You better, you better get the, get it cleared first. And you know, oh, what disasters we invite by presuming to do something, you know, to do a good thing, a minister without uh, serve the Lord without the Holy Spirit's prior confirmation that the specific project that you're contemplating is something that he's behind, God's behind, God's in it, and he'll, he'll bless it. Don't you dare go out and do something without that prior confirmation. That does not seem to be how Paul and Silas were operating. Look at the second missionary journey, for example. And just... Read how the Bible describes their motivations for doing what they did. Here's, here's how it starts: Acts 15:36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are." Doesn't that look like Paul says, "Hey, I've got a good idea. <laughs> Let's go back and, you know, build up. Go back where we've been and make sure they're doing all right and build them up." And Barnabas seems good with it. And neither one of them says, wait, 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 wait. We'd better get the church together, pray like we did at first, fast and pray, and wait till the Holy Spirit says, okay, you guys go do it again. They don't seem to worry one bit about perhaps doing a good thing at the wrong time, or in the wrong way, not having been specifically directed by the Holy Spirit, as at first. You could assume that that happened. Some do. You know, they say, "Well, they must have. They must have. Paul must have been led by the Holy Spirit into this. He he must have gotten this direction beforehand, or he never would have said something like that." Well, maybe, but that's not what the text says. Then comes, after this, this famous disagreement between Paul and Barnabas about whether Barnabas' young relative, John Mark, should be a, a part of the team. Barnabas' motivation is Acts 15.37. Acts uh, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. That's what it says. John wanted to, I mean, I'm mean, sorry, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Paul's motivation comes in the next verse. And, it, and really, it was his sense of what is wise. Doesn't he doesn't use the word wisdom here, but it's his sense of what is wise. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So why did, why did Barnabas want to take John Mark? It says he wanted to. Why did Paul not want to? Because he's, a, he's going to flake out on us again. You know, he, he flaked out the first. No, don't, no, no, no. We don't do it. Look what it says next. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Surely, you know, Acts is not shy about the Holy Spirit saying things, is it? Surely, if the Holy Spirit had said to the church like he did at first, or to Paul or Barnabas, Here's my solution. Here's my direction. Separate from each other. Barnabas should take Mark. Paul should take Silas and go out. If that, Surely, if that's what happened, that's what we would read. Instead, it just says they separated from each other. Why? Because, because they were told to that specific direction. It says because their disagreement was so sharp. And we, and we read, Barnabas took Mark. Barnabas took Mark. Why did Barnabas take Mark? Well, if we're going by what the Bible teaches, it was because he wanted to. He wanted to. And similarly, we read, Paul chose Silas. Paul chose Silas think of that and we Paul chose Silas if it had been something else don't you think we would read that something else and we don't read anything in this episode that suggests that there's anything amiss here that there. are You know, there are rules of receiving divine guidance before making ministry decisions that are just being disregarded here. We don't read anything like that. But this is what happened, and it was okay. (laughs) Now, once on their way, Paul and Silas experienced the very definite leading guidance of the Holy Spirit. We've already looked at it. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Whatever that means, it seems like it could be verbal to me. It's very strong language. But then, not being allowed by the Spirit to go into Bithynia, even though they were trying to go there. Think of that. They were trying to go somewhere, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Were they in the wrong should they have? Shouldn't they have gotten that cleared first, so they wouldn't be trying to do something the Spirit didn't want them to do? They don't seem to be troubled about it. <laughs> There's no place Paul doesn't repent. Oh Lord, what a mistake I made! I just should have—I should have cleared this with you before. That doesn't seem the, ca- the repent. This doesn't seem to be the case at all. But when the Holy Spirit's uh, guidance comes, he's, he's quick to obey, isn't he? They have this, He has this, this vivid dream, this vision, that they can both conclude that, that God has called them to Macedonia. But even that is not the Holy Spirit said, is it? It's a dream, and they interpret it as that. The man in the dream says, come over and help us. That's still a little different than the Holy Spirit said. So they come over to Philippi, and on the Sabbath they they thought to go down to the river. This is chapter 16. They thought to go down the river. Why did they go down to the river? It says, because they supposed there would be a place where people gathered to pray there doesn't say they were directed but they suppose and there was such a place and there were some people there there were some women one of them a woman named lydia along with her husband with uh... household was saved and baptized and, and her house became a temporary a base of operations and how did they reach that decision how did they come to make lydia's house their base of operations for the short time they were there the Bible says, Acts sixteen fifteen, she, that's Lydia, prevailed upon us. She'd have it no other way. She insisted, "You're staying in my house." And I say temporary uh, place of uh, operation, base of operations, because they were accused, you know, of disturbing the peace, and they were jailed and they're beaten, and then comes the conversion of the Philippian jailer. You know, they're in the jail and they're singing, and you know, the, the you know the whole story of the of the uh, conversion of the Philippian jailer and his household and they leave uh Philippi, and they leave Philippi. Why did they leave? The Bible says it was because the town authorities asked them to leave. Next the Bible says they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They stopped at Thessalonica. And why did they why did they stop at Thessalonica? Well it says because there was a uh there, there was a synagogue there, and this is how Paul did it. He go to the synagogue first and, and uh, preach the gospel there from an Old Testament context. At Thessalonica, there were more conversions. there was again cause trouble and it says, these newly minted brothers, this is Act 17:10, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, which is then, why did they do that? It doesn't say anything about guidance, but it's, their, it's certainly their, their wisdom. They, you know they say, this we got to get you out of here. They're going to kill you or something. We got to get you out. And so they they out, they they sent them away. At Thessalonica there were uh, there you know there were these uh, conversions and trouble. They went on to Berea, and the people and the troublemakers from Thessalonica followed them to Berea. They made trouble there too, and the believers there, the new believers there, sent them away again, and they took them as far as Athens. From Athens, he went to Corinth. Why did he go to Corinth? You know what? There's the verse, Acts 18, 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. We don't know why, how he made that decision, but he made it. And once again, we could assume, and like a lot of Christians do, it's like, well, he must have, the Holy Spirit must have said, to, you know, he must have directed him and showed him, or he wouldn't have done it without that. But it just, that's what we're told right there. I keep pointing to mine instead of yours. That's what we're told. Paul went to Corinth. And there as usual there's conversions and there's trouble and there's but the Holy Spirit breaks in with some very real and definite guidance. And this time well let me just read it Acts 18:9 and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision do not be afraid, but, I go on, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed the year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. That's guidance, isn't it? They don't, they don't take them, they don't scurry off to the next town because there's trouble in Corinth. The Lord told him to stay. And he did. And so it go, goes. Now you follow this along. We could just follow it through. But there is, is there guidance in this? Is there spiritual guidance? Oh, yes, there is. And some of it seems like in Paul's experience, you know, that it's verbal sometimes and nonverbal sometimes. Is there deciding going on? Oh, there's lots of deciding going on. They do what seemed like a good idea. They do what seems wise. They do what seems best. But there's this, they decide, they're they're fine with deciding. They don't say, oh, we can't decide, the Holy Spirit has to do. No, 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 we don't decide anything. The Holy Spirit does it all. We don't make a move without Him telling us to do something. Verbally or non-verbally. That's not the way it is. They decide freely, and they are there's also an openness and a willingness to embrace God's specific guidance because this is God's project, not Paul's. And when the Holy Spirit led however he led, he adjusted, he listened, he obeyed, he redirected. But he wasn't under the impression that every single in every single decision had to have that. Some sort of specific guidance, or you could be in trouble. (laughs) You could be doing something wrong. He was not paralyzed for lack of specific guidance, and he was not afraid to make a call, and he didn't even, he appears not to even second guess himself for doing that, even when a call is overruled by the Holy Spirit of God. Says no, don't do that. Don't go into Bithynia. You need it elsewhere. This is not, you know, the second missionary. It's not a Jonah situation, is it? It's not running away from the mission field, <laughs> We're running against the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is a, this is a, and I, in the title, I call it a dance. It's a dance between wisdom and guidance, between deciding and being open. Being willing to be led I've been a long time getting to this in my own mind because there in the church in the big church capital C church there are a lot of either-ors. There are either ors they're either they're either deciders or they're uh, ones who that, that demand and guidance. but it's not either or it's a both and and if this and in this you know what i just think to, to, as you leave here what's the if there's a correction to be made in your own life and your own practice of the faith which way is the correction go are are you reticent about making decisions are you are you laboring under the impression that you could make a big mistake if you decide something without the holy spirit say so without the holy spirit's specific and I've counseled lots of Christians who are uh, kind of paralyzed in indecision, afraid to make a call because, you know, I don't know what to do. I need God to tell me. Or do you, or do you feel the the pressure to describe your own decisions with language that implies the Spirit's direction when it wasn't, it really wasn't? Here's Here would be, here would be the takeaway. You know, if that's you, the takeaway would be it's it's okay to make decisions and act if you are acting on the the general the general instruction you already have in the scripture and what you've already been directed by really and applying the wisdom that God says is there for you if you want it. There's a tremendous freedom in that. In saying it's okay it's okay to make a decision and act. I'm open to the spirit's guidance, but I'm going to do this what I want to do. This is a good idea. This is it. This is fine. There's nothing in the scripture that says I shouldn't do this. I'm going to do this. I want to do it. But there are Christians who say you're doing something wrong if you do it that way. But that's how Paul and Silas did it how barnabas did it and on the other hand your correction could be in the other direction (laughs) in the direction of a willingness and an openness to the spirit's guidance verbal or nonverbal. is a holy if you're in christ there is a holy spirit within you and he is prone to intervene and to lead and to guide And and do you live as like that's the case are you open to it do you seek it do you invite it the Holy Spirit told the whole church at, at Antioch, set apart these two men for the work to which I've called them, and they did that in context of fasting and praying. Do you, do you fast and pray? <laughs> Is there a willingness to yield? That, and if there's so, if it should be nurtured, there's a sensitivity of the Spirit that should be cultivated. And there's something. If it's all deciding and all the time it's all you, and the Holy Spirit never seems to guide. Change, make, lead you to change course. So if never, ever, you're missing something about how to live this life. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's a combination of deciding and being led, deciding to follow Jesus, and hearing his voice and obeying all along the way. Lord, teach us. <laughs> teach us. All right. Uh, Lord, give grace in this place among the believing to submit our way of living, our way of thinking, our way of deciding, our way of hearing what the Spirit says to the plumb line of your words so that all may grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Give us greater wisdom for making good decisions that serve you, that serve your kingdom, that serve others and even ourselves well. The boldness to walk in the wisdom you've given and give us greater sensitivity to your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide as He wills. Thank you for committing yourself to working in us to perfect us until the day of Jesus. And grant the beginnings of faith today to any who are outside the faith, outside of Christ, and without hope or anything beyond this life, that they might be saved, that Christ would be glorified and our joy would be made full. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.